We are living in a more chaotic and confusing time than ever before. The lines between right and wrong and good and evil, men and women, are so blurred, sometimes I, I don't even know which way is up. It's not a new concept that things aren't black and white. We know there's always been a gray area, and there'll continue to be gray areas. But we really have to start being more careful when we're claiming to know empirical facts or empirical truths, because there's so much information that you'd have to know and sort through to be that confident that you're right. Today's podcast is really interesting. Today, I'm going to introduce you to a man who was convicted of murder that he didn't commit. Now, was he perfect? No. But he didn't commit the crime that he was sentenced to life for. His name is Gene McGuire. He finally got out early. But I have to tell you, he had every reason to be angry and hold a grudge. But something happened to him along the way that changed his life for the better. We talk about the mistakes that were made that nearly ruined Gene's life and the way that he was able to find forgiveness and use his life and story into ways of encouraging others. remember what the occasion was, but I was having dinner with some friends and, uh, one of them said, Oh, you have to meet, have you met Gene? And I said, no. Oh, you have to meet him. And they told me your story. And I said, can you call him? Can he come to dinner? And you came to dinner and your story is one of the, it's the best Horrible yet unbelievably positive stories I have ever heard. Wow. Tell me, Gene. 1977. How yeah. old were you? 17. Sophomore in high school. Finishing up the year. Um, pretty good athlete. Football track. Girlfriend? Uh, not at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, um, went out drinking one night with an older cousin. He was 24 and went out the door uh, against my mother's wishes pretty much, but we sweet talked her mm. and about 1130 at night had no business being out that late. Were you, did you know your, your cousin was kind of a bad guy? Did um, Dual. He, he had been in prison before he had been out. And, but one of the things I had great respect for him was because he treated my mother so well. Okay. And since my mother went through some hard relationships. My cousin always came to the rescue. So I had a, a fond respect. I had a great right. respect for a man who treated my mother well. So he's behind the wheel of the car? Um, a stepbrother, an older stepbrother drove us. Okay. We left, the three of us left the kitchen table, drinking, playing pool, uh, playing cards, went and shot some pool. My cousin wanted to shoot some pool. So we went to a local tavern and 20 minutes or so into shooting pool, drinking shots. He turns and says, I'm going to rob this place to our surprise. And 
um, he was serious. And so did you know he was serious? Yeah, I think I, I I believe I did. And the idea was, look, we were not going to do it. If you're going to do it, we'll leave. So the plan was to leave the bar in the car, drive down the street, park, let him come back and we'll wait for you. So you were a getaway car. Yeah. And you, so we, we knew he was going to rob the, we knew he was, he was going to rob the bar. And so we, um, he walked back up into the bar and by the time I got out the car and I stood in a parking lot somewhere near the, and he didn't come out right away. And we heard some banging. We walked up to the bar and he had murdered the owner. He had stabbed the owner to death using bottles. Oh my gosh. And he just went crazy. So we yelled to him to stop. I did. And my stepbrother and I, we hung around a little bit. He said, come in, help find some money. We walked in. And about 10 minutes, he found a box, found about $1,000 of cash and took it. And my stepbrother left. Um, he left and uh, went home. I, I left with my cousin, went to New York City. Uh, I, knew I, I, knew I, was, I knew I was in trouble. Um, the significance, the, the weight of it, it didn't hit me until I sobered up. When you, when you saw a dead man... Woman, dead woman. Yeah, it was a the owner of the bar. What went through your head? Well, um, intimidated, scared, uh, caught up in that with my cousin, um, and and it was dark. It was behind a counter. Any thought of we have to call the police? No, I was I was too into it as far as I'm 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 following him. Part of yeah, I'm part of that. I'm following him. I, I, I love my cousin a lot. I just had a, I had a, I had a respect for him and I had a somewhat like a, um, uh, as a hero type, uh, sadly, dysfunctionally. Um, how did, how does, I mean, I'm trying to get into your frame of yeah. mind here on, um, were you a bad kid? No, I wasn't. Um, I was high school. I wasn't a good student, but I was a good athlete. Um, I was in school all the time. Not something you would, I mean, you wouldn't have no. thought about beating anybody up or. No. I mean, I had some school fights and stuff like that, but. Um, you weren't I, a juvenile no. thug. No. Okay. I grew up on a dairy farm and worked on a dairy farm and, and, uh, my cousin came, came for that weekend, uh, from New Jersey and I lived in Northeast Pennsylvania. So he came and. So was, how much, how much shock were you? in because this seems like if this if i and and maybe i react exactly the same way um where i walk in and i'm like oh okay uh, i'm not going to call the police but um i i i mean i think you'd just be in shock you didn't expect you didn't i know i never think never would have thought cousin would have been never never it never crossed my mind that it would have gone this far when i went to the bar to shoot pool with him i thought it was cool it was it was a timeout, you know. It was like getting outside the house. Yeah, yeah. It was it was fun, and and it just snowballed from there. And no inkling beforehand that he wanted no. to even rob the place. No, okay, not at all. So how you you go to New York City? Go to New York City, walk in the streets. He he said he had a plan to get. <laughs> he said he had a plan to get away, do something, and I was just kind of following. I was in a, I was just in a following mode, really. Um, uh, if I can, if I can just put you in my mindset. I was just following him and it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't good, but that's, that's what yeah. choice I made. So walking the streets, he was shooting heroin. He, he used the money to buy um, dope. And I found myself in shooting galleries up in Spanish Harlem. 
and looking around and people laying around and um, what you'd see as a, in, the, in, in the movies, I was, I was right there. It was just overwhelming. Uh, walking the streets, no, no clue what was going on, sleeping, slept overnight in a hotel. It's 1977. There's no cell phones. There's nothing. No. It's a different world. Yeah. It's still a still world of people listening to music on AM radio. Yeah. And, and so, um, the next day, um, notified my, my parents that I was turning myself in and uh, my cousin said, you can run with me or you can turn yourself in. And I, I knew I, I knew I wanted to go home. I knew that wasn't for me. I mean, I, I sobered up. I realized that I was in severe, you know, serious trouble. Uh, not, I had no idea what faced, what, what I was facing, but. But you I, were I, willing I, to face it. Yeah. So I came back and. What'd your mother say? The first thing, the first thing, um, so I took a bus back. They put me on a bus. The police put me on a bus to turn myself. So in. you turn yourself up in I, New York. Yes. In the Port Authority. And they came and they said, are you Eugene McGuire? I said, yeah, you turn yourself in. Yes. They're looking for my cousin. My cousin continued to run. So I get on a bus and. Did you know where he was or where he was No, going? he just took off. And, uh, he, uh, so I'm on a bus and I get back and the police come on a bus with my mother and my mother just, the first thing she said was, tell the truth. Eugene, tell the truth. She was distraught. She, she looked, uh, oh my goodness. Uh, her, her face was uh, distraught and uh, just lost. Uh, I can still see that in yeah. your eyes, the pain. Yeah. So uh, we get, I was, I was uh, arrested formally and taken to the uh, Tunkhannock, uh, Pennsylvania, state police barracks and, and gave a statement there. And, uh, for some reason, I, you know, I, I was talking about this the other day, um, to some people, I said, I, I really thought, tell the truth and go home. Huh. But that didn't happen. You know, my mother was there. Does um, your mom think that? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I think she was just in shock, um, um, with every detail that I yeah. told of the, of the, what would happen. Um, I think she was further and further. But there were shot. no details you did not know. You yeah. um, didn't even know why you were in the bar. Mm-hmm. You and your stepbrother did say, okay, we'll meet you after yeah. you rob the place. Yeah. Was there any other detail that incriminated you in any way other than... Uh, knowing, well, the felony homicide, uh, knowing that uh, there was a felony going on. Uh, uh, during a homicide or a homicide happened during a felony. And you knew about the felony. I knew about the felony, which was the robbery. Yeah. Okay. So you go in and you tell the truth yeah. to the police. And they say, stand up. Um, you're under arrest for the murder of Isabel Nagy. And it's just like, hmm. what went through your mind? Um, I think immediately, um, the weight of it, um, also the embarrassment, um, I didn't know the victim, um, in any personal way. I've been to her bar before and drank as a 17 year old. I've been able to go in there. So I just, just superficially just high and by, but, uh, my mother, um, the, the embarrassment family, uh, and then just trying to comprehend what every step was after they said, stand up, 
cuff me and start booking, booking me and fingerprint me. Um, just was taking one step at a time and knowing I wasn't going home. And I heard the con- I heard the police talking, the state police talking about taking me to the juvenile center detention. Tell me a little bit about her first before we move on. Um, the victim. Victim, 60-year-old uh, single uh, woman, no children, and she owned a bar. It was called uh, the Marine Room Inn at the time, Lake Winola, Pennsylvania. Um, that's that's about all I know. I know um, a sister. She had a sister, and she has some nephews. Uh, they were um, jumping ahead. They were in my hearing when I was released. And there's a story behind that, too, that I found out when I was released, so... Um, it, when you, when you said her name a few minutes ago, your eyes welled up and, um, you, they got very red again. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a day you, you don't think of her or do you, I mean, what, it's been decades now. Yeah. It's really 41 years not left you. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So they book you, they fingerprint you. Mm-hmm. Then what happens? Um, transport me about a 30-minute ride to juvenile detention in Luzerne County. Um, never even heard of it. Never didn't know where I was going. So all I mean, just a few days before, you're thinking about sports at school. Yeah, yeah. Working out, um, training. Yeah. What were you going to do? For life, what were you? What what path did you at that time think yeah, you were? There was on? a couple of things. Uh, I I liked welding. I I took some shops welding, uh, something like that. But I also uh, had thought about going to the Marines. There was a, a good friend of mine, Rob Mancuso, and we were talking about um, that in in our throughout our sophomore year about the possibility of going into Marines. So now you're on the bus, and what at that point? What do you think your life is going to be? Um, when you're on the bus and you're um, being transferred to juvenile, you haven't, yeah. you, what are you thinking? This is going to be bad, but I'm still going to have my life. Well, um, yeah, I, I think I meant personally, I think I shut down and just, I was, I just aware of, I was in a car, the, this trooper car. Oh, okay. So I was just kind of being aware of the moment. I didn't want to think about what I was going to face in juvenile center. Um, I heard my cousin. I heard my cousin talk about stories about prison and uh, rapes and violence and stabbings and stuff when he was in there. Some of the stories he had told me. Um, so I, I had no idea, but I was trying not to think, yeah. honestly, think about it. But I was just. I remember just looking at the driver, uh, the screen that, that separated us, looking down at the cuffs and the belt I was wearing. Uh, just for that moment. I I didn't want to uh, think ahead. You get to the prison or the juvenile Ju- dissension, yeah. detention. It's about, about 1230 at night. I had been in the police station for about six to eight hours. And then they took me to the, so knock on the door, metal door. They open it up and of course it's night and there's only the, the officer inside dressed in plain clothes, big set of keys. Yeah, and I noticed that, and he brought us in, and uh, they set me down, and then they took the shackles off me, took the cuffs off me, and uh, they shook my hand, and 
they left and he proceeded process, you know, take me in and process me, uh, shower, search, all that. Give me some clothes, put me in a cell. How long were you living there? I spent nine months. And that's during your trial? During, yeah, the hearing. The hearing. Yeah. Because um, there was no trial, was there? was there? no trial. Tell me, you you have an attorney? They gave me a public defender. Because uh-huh. you were poor. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, and what does he say? When you're first, are you thinking, I'm going to have some hope here when he comes in? Yeah. Or? Yeah, no, I really did. Um, and he was a nice guy. Mm-hmm. He was a young guy, um, good-looking guy. And uh, um, I remember him sympathizing somewhat with me about drinking. He says, I know what it's like to have some drinks and you get drunk and and being young. And, you know, so, but then uh, we you know, go through the, the story and all that. And then I think about um, uh, four, maybe five visits, four or five visits with him over the period of time within um, 90 days, he gives me a recommendation to the best to plead guilty. Your best thing is to plead guilty to murder, open charge of murder. Mm. It would not rise higher than second degree. Um, but everything else, uh, second, third degree and manslaughter, uh, was be open and that, um, you could be out in 10 years. I couldn't even comprehend two years, but uh, I still remember the conversation, uh, plead guilty, testify against your cousin and, uh, um, and then let the judge set the degree of guilt. juvenile detention like was it as bad as what your cousin no uh no it was um it was only 15 cells okay 15 rooms cells um and most of the inmates were in there were for really petty stuff yeah okay so but i remember when they when i came in uh there was probably uh six eight guys in there and you get up in the morning and, you know, you make your bed and all that and you go eat and come back and there's not a lot to do, you know, a little day room. Yeah. And someone asked me what I was in there for and I said I was in for murder. Well, about an hour later, the staff, they called me in the room and said, uh, um, we're going to lock you up because you told somebody um, that you were in for murder and we can't let them, these young juveniles or these other people know that we have a, hom- a person for homicide. So they were like really protective of me, letting them know. So um, I'm locked up for 10 days until they finally said, uh, okay, we'll give you another chance. Don't tell anybody why here. You can you tell them that you stole bike, that uh, right. you, whatever. Right. So um, you go into the, to the hearing. I go to the hearing. And you're going to do what your mother said. I plead guilty, enter a plea of guilt. Your mother in the courtroom? Mother's in the courtroom, sister. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about that? Um, that particular moment, I don't remember a whole lot. Okay. So uh, you you have to stand up and you have to say guilty or does your attorney do that? Uh, my attorney does it. Okay. And and that's one of the things that I, I do remember. It was I was numb through it and um, not knowing exactly what to say or do. So he did a lot of the... Uh, 
Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Judge says, okay. Mm-hmm. And then does the sentence come right away? No. Um, some six months go by. And uh, so I entered, it was three months after my arrest. I entered plea guilt. Six months later, I go the day before my 18th birthday. And you are, you've testified against your... Testified against my cousin. During his hearing, we had separate hearings. Uh-huh. And, you've done uh, everything that the state he has. He pled guilty. He, he, yeah, he pled guilty. He, he, it was his idea that I had very little. The other guy had little. So um, I go in and uh, the March 8th. Uh, 1978, and uh, I'm st- stood there, and and they read off the you know, charge. Again, very embarrassing. I mean, um, painful, knowing that a life was taken. Uh, um, Her family there. Yeah, um, I, I, not for me. Um, my cousin. I think the okay. most attention was on Bobby. Yeah. Not my, not mine. That that I know of. Yeah. Um. But aware of, you know, the community and all that. Yeah. So I, I plead guilty and then I, I sit down, some more conversation between the DA and all this, you know. I stand up and the judge sentenced me to life without the possibility of parole, my natural life. Still thinking 10 years, which really wasn't the case. When he said life... You, you, were you, did it set in then or were you thinking, no, that there's going to be a way to yeah. get out? No, no, it didn't set in. I, I thought I'm still on track. I'm going to do what I have to do, uh, whatever it requires to, to come out to. When did it hit you? Um, I go to the state correctional institution the next day, 18th birthday, I come into uh, Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, and I remember walking in. And You're no longer a juvenile. You're in I'm in, you're adult, in I'm adult now, prison. I'm in an adult facility going from 15 cells to 2,600 or so. And How terrified was it? It, 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 it wasn't gripping terrified, but it's, it's, it's scary and you're intimidated. And so right away I put on, you know, I'm going to, put on this facade that I'm a tough uh, guy. I'm, I'm not, I'm not scared, you know, yeah. I like, keep my head up. And, and so you go through the process. The early process is, is, is quite easy. You're under watching guard. You're going through medical exams. You're, you're, you're under key a lot of your first 30, 30 days evaluation. So there's your, your problems come afterwards mm-hmm. once you get into population. But, uh, I remember, uh, meeting some guys right away. They say, Hey, young buck, how much time are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing life. Or no, I said I'm doing ten years. And it's like, no, you're not. I said, you're doing life like us. You could die. I said, no. See, you're on the list, lifers list. Then they had a list uh, of guys doing life. And they said, you're on, you're, you could die in here like the rest of us. You're not getting out. And uh, so that comes like, hmm. So I started asking questions, and I got back on the phone. I went to the law clinic. You know, the prison has a law clinic with volunteers to help mm-hmm. out. And I started talking to them and, and they said, uh, you have a life sentence without parole. You'd have to, the only way you could change that is to appeal your case. So you want to call your attorney and ask him to appeal your case. Didn't your attorney say something when he said, you know, it'd be 10 yeah. years. When he, when the judge said life, no yeah. parole, the attorney knew what that meant. Did he not say, dude, I am really sorry, boy, I miscalculated here. Nothing, um, nothing no? No, he didn't say anything. There was no, there was never any conversation that 
um, other than um, I remember during, I remember it was, it was, I felt bad about this, but during, right after they sentenced me, he gave a statement and I think it's in my transcripts, but he said, yes, judge, there's a life, there was a life taken. Uh, it was a heinous crime. It was uh, mm-hmm. staff, but there's a life here that was wasted. And I, and I kind of felt uncomfortable even at 17 that you, you know, um, I saw my life. Yeah. I was going to prison, but I remember him. That was, that was, that was his kind of close. Mm-hmm. I remember that comment. That he said. And you were embarrassed because you're still alive. Yeah. 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 So. So you go back to talk to the attorney. Yeah. And within about 15 minutes on the phone, uh, he gives me every reason why not to. He said I could receive first degree. He said I'd get more time. Um, and with all that conversation going on, totally ignorant, really. Um I was intimidated and uh, 15 minutes, I hung up the phone and I walked out that law clinic and went back to my cell. And I just said, well, I'll do my time. In my mind, I said, I'll do my time, whatever it takes. Also, I heard that there's another avenue for life sentence inmates in Pennsylvania. It's uh, through the commutation board, through the governor, uh, the board of pardons, and it's a commutation process. So I set my heart on that. I began to look toward that. That's the only other avenue other than dying and you're going to be a model prisoner there. Um, I'm going to do what I have to do. Uh, I had, I wanted to get a job. I wanted to get some, uh, a GED. Um, I wanted to get my high school diploma and then also uh, get some, I wanted, I wanted to talk to somebody, you know, say, try to figure out how a 17 year old um, ends up doing life without parole. And so that was kind of my, that was my kind of my initial um, goal setting when I went into prison. You know, when you first told this story to me, and I know this is true, that you have had... um, you know you've been forgiven, mm-hmm. and um, do you? Yes, yes, I, yes. Um, you know you've been forgiven, and but yet you're this telling with me. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing deep wounds in you mm-hmm. still. Well, it's painful to realize that I'm alive. And the only thing I can do is live my life serving others in that place. So you're in, you're, you're now saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to hope for something else. Mm-hmm. How bad does prison become for you? Initially, um, the fights, uh, I had a guy walk up to me and blow some kisses at me early on and, uh, it turned into a big fight and, uh, resulted in going to the hole. What's uh, that? Uh, solitary. And uh, kind of dealing with all that and getting out and then being confronted with those guys again and them shaking my hand and saying, you're a cool white boy. You'll never have any problems with us again because hmm. I was willing to fight. So after that, um, just a struggle of uh, being isolated, you know, uh, in the prison system from society. Um, it is, uh, the whole, what is, what is isolation? What is solitary confinement like? Um, you're left in a locked cell 
um, not seeing anybody, but you're locked in a cell 23 hours a day, 24 hours a day. Um, you're out for a shower. You're fed inside the cell. Um, Nobody talks to you. you. You can yell to other inmates, but you can't really see, you don't see them. You're not face to face. Cells are back to back. But you're alone with your thoughts, your thought process. Which has to be yeah. hell. Yeah. And if you don't have a, if you don't have a good pro, uh, thought process, mm-hmm. which I didn't when I first started, mm-hmm. it is, it's, it's hellish. It's, it's, it's draining. Did you, did you grow up religious? Mm, Catholic school early on. Uh, first, second, you didn't have a... No. First, second, first, second grade, um, went to church, parents divorced. And um, my mother moved us away and church. So for me, growing up was church and then in a bar with my folks, my mm. folks and some change and jukebox and shuffleboard and then church and then back to the bar. So uh, religion, faith, religion, I would say religion and life didn't add up. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't together. So. When did you, when did you start saying, okay, if there is a God, I need a God. Right now, I need God. Uh, I was about, tw- I, oh, there was, there was a couple occasions um, when I was 21 years old, I had already dove into some meth in the prison system. In prison? Yeah. You're doing meth? Yeah. So I, I met up a couple guys that had drug businesses on the outside. They were doing life like me. And some doing doing a lot of time like me, and they just they had access to meth, prescription how do, how do, medications. And how do you do that? How does that? I mean, you, you get into the prison through visits uh, and work release or work guys. Guys go outside the fence and work, and you can bring it in. Uh, there was very little security at the time, as far as there weren't there weren't drug dogs, there weren't urinalysis weekly, as there are now. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so nineteen eighty. Yeah. So, um, involved in the meth, involved in some coke, um, and I remember doing meth one night, and I had gotten a letter from a Christian girl, and she it was like like a ten page letter front and back, and it had a lot of scripture in there, and I remember this scripture it said if you uh, believe in your heart that Jesus died and you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. And I remember reading it over and over and over and again. And I just remember getting on my knees and I, it was 20, 21. And I just said, God, I'm sorry for participating in a homicide. I'm sorry for, for the pain uh, of Isabel Nagy. And I remember saying her name and I just asking her to forgive me, asking God to forgive me. Um, crying, 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 crying. Is this the first time that you... Had- this is the first time that I ever even opened my mouth to say anything to 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 Jesus, to God, I had no clue. I had a Bible. I read it eh, yeah. once, once every six months. I'd read yeah. it. There was a couple of verses I liked. Uh, it was po- poetic poetry. Yeah. And I remember uh, it was about three, four in the morning, and I was speed. I was, uh, I was, I was wide awake. And I remember looking in the mirror after that incident. I got off off my knees, and I, I, I felt like I got saved. I felt like. Some weight came off you. Yeah, I really did. Something happened. And I remember looking in the mirror, looking in this little five by seven plastic mirror mm-hmm. they give us. And and my eyes were different. I, uh, the, 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 uh, my eyes weren't like little pin dots from speeding from the meth. And I remember 
man, I just got saved. So I wrote, I wrote her. I said, hey, I, I just accepted the Lord. And I said, I feel wonderful. Well, by the morning, my buddies come and we start getting high again. And from that point on, I just um, never followed the Lord. I never went to church, never heard the word. But for another couple years, I had a, I had a respect for the Lord. I mean, I, I had a respect when I heard the name Jesus being used. Because of that moment I think so. where you felt. I think so. I think God uh, did something in my heart that day. I wasn't living for him. Um, I was still getting high. But I, uh, I remember seeing a guy with a cross upside down. And I, I told him, I said, get to turn it around or I'll rip it off you. I just, I said, it's wrong. I said, don't. And of course, you know, but that was, yeah, that was my attempt yeah, that to evangelize. you being a good Christian. Yeah, just, I'll rip it off your neck. <laughs> so, and then, uh, 86, 1986, I was 26. Uh, I had uh, been asking some of the staff members. I, I had a, I had a nice job. I was, I was an in, institutional mail carrier. So I was in the offices exchanging mail and I was going in and these couple ladies in the medical department, I like going in there, talking to them. It was a real peaceful place. I'd go and sit down and we just talked. And I told him, I said, you know, I said, I have a, I have a, I told him I have an alcohol problem. I've been drinking. I've been making my own, which is mm -hmm. true, but I didn't tell him I was doing math or putting a needle in my arm and shooting math to that point. So they said, Hey, there's, did you hear about the, prison invasion program revival going on this weekend at the church. And I'm like, no, I heard that from my meth dealer. And so they say, you need to go, you need to sign up and go. So I signed up and I went on Friday night reluctantly, but I kind of, it was intimidating because church, you know? Yeah. So, but I went, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I haven't put a needle in my arm, right. but you <clears throat> don't, there's, there's something about, feeling like I don't belong here with these people. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I walk in and there's a, there was a hundred men. It was very organized. There was a hundred men from the outside community had come into the prison. They spent all day Friday morning walking around. They had the tethers and the wristbands and they would just share something with you about the gospel, invite you over to the night service. And so that happened for me. M Monday, there was a guy walking around saying, Hey, I was an alcoholic and Jesus changed my heart. Hey, I was an alcoholic. Jesus changed my heart. I don't drink no more. And he seemed to follow me around the institution. Mm. I was on the block, cell block. He was there. I went to the yard workout. He was mm. there. And, uh, intentionally. Name, yeah. Mm. I, yeah. So he yeah. was hunting me down. Yeah. So I went Friday night, I walked into the chapel and there was music going on. They had teen challenge testimonies. They had worship and they had a gauntlet of men, uh, in line and they were all shaking your hand telling you God loves you, we love you, we're glad you're here. About you go from um, a world that has got to be pretty hard, uh, where your Christian act is, I'll rip that off your neck, yeah. um, you're shooting up drugs, mm -hmm. into that world, did it feel real to you? Did it feel genuine? Because you could, a jaded person would walk in and go, oh, you... Please. Mm, yeah. No, it, it felt real. I, I didn't know anybody there. Uh, I didn't know any of the inmates that were there. And it was that type of, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't, I, that wasn't my crew. That wasn't my crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was really a fish out of water. And I went in there, but I, 
um, men like yourself and like everybody else, they were just shaking my hand and, and welcome me. So I walked in and I went and found a seat and they, the music continued to saying people worshiping and then they sat down and, and I remember, I remember the pastor got up and all I remember of that night, the pastor, he got up and he, he, he said, Jesus died for your sins and rose again and he loves you something like that basically. Mm -hmm. And everybody claps and roars and, and, uh, he, he said, real men make commitments real men make commitments. And I sat there and I was like, man, why is he looking right at me? <laughs> why is he like, and that's kind of like leaning behind yeah. the head, but as he spoke and he shared, um, I felt like, man, he's talking to me. I left that night without making the commitment. Uh, I went back, I struggled that night sleeping, you know, yeah. I, knew, I knew I wasn't right. Yeah. I wasn't right. And I uh, wasn't where I was supposed to be. I went back Saturday night. Uh, again, Saturday morning, men were catching me on the walkway in the yard. Hey, do you know Jesus? No. Yeah. Saturday, I walk in, same thing. Uh, it's a hype in air. There's music, loud music, worship, singing, testimonies, Teen Challenge, guys from Teen Challenge. These kids were talking about shooting one another drugs. And I'm like, I can relate to some of that and uh, how Jesus changed your life. And then Again, uh, Jesus died, rose again for you, eternal life. Real men make commitments and it just, man, uh, I've never made a commitment in my life. I, I quit everything, everything uh, that got tough, school, I quit, I went back. Uh, some things I finished, some things I didn't, relationships. So I'm sitting there uh, at the end and I don't make a commitment, but now there's a time of mingling and fellowship, sure. music playing and People mm -hmm. keep walking up to me and saying, hey, do you know Jesus? I'm like, no. They're like, hey, have you made a commitment tonight? And I'm like, no. So in a room of about 300 men, uh, I was bouncing my eyes around. So if I saw you looking at me, I would look, look away. Down, yeah. Don't come over here and ask me right, that. Right, right, right. <laughs> I, I hear someone behind me, um, how you doing tonight? And I turn around and there's this guy from the outside and he says, have you made a commitment? <laughs> I was like, I can't get, away. <laughs> can't get away from it. I said, no, but I know some Christians. And he said, okay. He said, wait right here. So he, he turns like 30 seconds and gives me his card. His name is Larry Titus. He said, hey, uh, my name is Larry Titus. And um, if you need anything, give me a call. And I was like, he said, yeah, you need some shoes. You need a Bible. You need some money. Just give me a call. And I'm like, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. I said, are you a Christian? He said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And he said, and I said, well, how long you've known Jesus? He said, since I was four years old. And I said, you know, Jesus, since you're four, he said, yeah, I knew God called me to be a missionary at five. Wow. And I was, I was like, it, it, it made, it made me not in condemnation, but I knew I was a big zero. I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And so, um, he left, I left. When you asked him that, was it, uh, when you said, are you a Christian? Was it because here's this stranger who just gave me a card and said, Hey, I'll buy stuff for you if you need it. By shoes? Yeah, I, I, I was like, are you, are you a Christian? I, I, I didn't know what else to say. Huh. And he just like, he said, you need a book, you need some shoes, you need some clothes, you know? And uh, I, I, I really don't even know where that question came from. Um, so you are feeling like, you know, like, like all of us feel when you meet somebody who's yeah. really, you know, seems to be all put together. Yeah. And, 
And you're like, what have I done with my life? Right. And I'm thinking this guy, and, and the truth is there was the preceding months I had been walking the prison yard, looking up. I, I still remember um, looking up in the sky and wondering if, if this is like one of those globes that you shake in the <laughs> snow. Mm-hmm. And I said, is there a God? And I, and I would, I would say, is there a real God? Is there someone that really cares about us? Is someone overseeing us? And I just had that uh, recurring thought whenever I'd walk the prison yard by myself. I'd get by myself. and and uh, But you were not like uh, reading the scriptures no, and doing all the stereotypical no, Christian movie no, things. No, not yeah. at all. Yeah. Not at all. I was, I was getting high right up pretty much to the time. Um, and uh, so I, I, he leaves, I leave, and I, I go back and I, I can't sleep. I'm waking up every hour. And I'm sitting on the edge of my bed. I'm like, man, I want to be a Christian. I, I want to be a Christian, but I don't know how, and I don't know if I can in that sense. You know, can I really live the life? Cause, Why did you want to be a Christian? Um, do I just... What did that mean to you? Um, a, a better a better life is, is the best I can say. Right. Is I saw a couple guys, uh, my friend Warner, in, in, in my book, uh, we call him Big Moses, his nickname, uh, liquid love. This guy was big, uh, yeah. gentle giant, but, um, I, I liked what I saw. Um, Larry in just a few moments of time, um, this loving individual, uh, confident. I, I, I wanted to be, I had some other friends that wrote me and witnessed to me. I remember uh, an old girlfriend from high school wrote me when I was in the juvenile center and she let me know she was a Christian and, uh, and I remember only dated for short, but, uh, I remember her being a, a good person person. So I, I remember when I first started going to church, uh, and I was looking for something, I'm alcoholic. I'm really struggling to stay sober. And I, I go to church and there's these people there that this is why I asked you about yeah. if it felt foreign. Cause with me, I hated myself. I mean, I'm an yeah. alcoholic. I hated sure. myself. And I projected that as I hate people. No, I didn't yeah. actually hate people. I hated me. Um, and these people who are Christians were also very nice to me. Mm-hmm. And all I could think of, you know, give me 10 minutes and you'll hate me because <laughs> um, I'm a very hateable person. Um, and, uh, and then after being with the community for a while, for about six months, you know, because they were doing the same thing. Have you made a commitment? I'm like, yeah. shut up. <laughs> and uh, after a, a while of being with them, I remember this one guy who I've talked about before. I used to call him the amazing Mr. Plastic Man because I thought he was fake. Yeah. He was so happy all the time. And I could not get my arms around that. And I heard him speak about, loving people Mm -hmm. and really finding the way to love people, even if you don't know them, even if you don't like them, you still love them. And I mean, everybody in the room was crying and he was crying and I was crying. And I remember thinking, I don't even know what this step really means. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I can do it, but I want to be like that. No amount of talking, no amount of, missionary work of, hey, do this. It has to, I think at least, it comes from being that example that somebody who's so desperately troubled just says, I I want to be happy like you. 
Yeah. I, I remember with Warner, he was my next door neighbor. And uh, while I was in there smoking and getting high and all that, he was living next door. And I, in another cell. Next cell, yeah. Cell, yeah. And I remember we were in there, we were smoking uh, some hash and, and there was about four or five of us. And I remember we had to, we had this sheet pulled across my bars, you know, and we were in there smoking and we get done and put everything away and pull the sheet across and we step out. And when I stepped out the cell, he was standing there on the other side of the, mm. the tier looking at me and it was like my high was gone. Powerful. And I, I was like, I was like, I need to be like that. I don't, he what I'm doing. looking at you like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what are you doing, Gene? And I, I knew I was wrong. That's all I can say. I knew I was wrong. I wasn't living the life I should be living. And I looked at Warner and I said, that guy right there, mm. that's somebody look. And so like, like you, I, I yeah. saw somebody, he was joyful. He had hard times. He would sing. He was joyful. He was, he was down to earth. We worked out, lift weights, played football together. Yeah. It's not the people... That's why I called him the amazing Mr. Plastic Man for a long time, because I saw him as a guy who was perfect, trying to be perfect yeah. and everything else. But it took time for me to see, no, 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 he has struggles. Yeah. He has pain. Mm -hmm. He has difficulties in his life. But somehow or another, it doesn't beat him. Mm -hmm. You know? It doesn't define him. Yeah, it's not right. who he is. Yeah. So... Um, you make the commitment? Um, not that night, Sunday morning. In short, I go back uh, Sunday morning, last service. You and, feel it coming though? Oh, yeah. There was, I was, I felt like a rubber band, you know, yeah. stretched. And, and I sat the last pew. The only thing left was the door. <laughs> and I really, I remember I, could, I can leave. Uh, the officers will let me go back to the housing yeah, unit. Yeah, you know? yeah. But he, he's preaching and he's, Jesus died, rose again, the gospel stories and and um, he's saying, real men make commitments. And I was like, my stomach churning, my hands sweating. There's nothing like that feeling when you know yeah. you're being told to do something right. and you just know it. You just yeah. know it. I knew that I needed to get up. Yeah. And so he had the altar call, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And I remember um, I sat there and I wanted to get up. I couldn't move. My, my, my body wouldn't move. And then these guys came over to me and they said, hey, uh, you look like you want to accept the Lord. And I couldn't even open my mouth and say yes or no. I just like kind of looking straight ahead. Um, and, they, and then when I heard him say, you want to accept the Lord or something like that, I, I remember leaning forward and got up and I went up front and these guys followed me and we, I just got on my knees and, and uh, we prayed, Jesus, come into my life, set me free, forgive me for my sins. I want to live for you. And when I stood up, I literally felt like chains, uh, this weight, this heavy weight came off me. I felt like I can literally live. I can like breathe. Uh, I had been into powerlifting weights and, and I knew what it was to put hundreds of pounds on my back and squat and it takes your breath away and, uh, until you get, rack it and you're like, oh. and that's what I felt like it was off. The, and that's, I literally, I felt this weight come off me and, uh, I didn't know what I was saying, but I kept saying, hallelujah. As yeah. uh, I left the chapel and I went back, hallelujah to my friends and started reading the Bible, immediately started reading the Bible. People who don't, um, I, I, I hate to say it this way because it sounds horrible, but I feel bad for the people who think they don't really need it. 
you know? I mean, far as, you know, oh. I know people who are Christians, but they've never really right. had, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> they've never done the things that, you know, right. like you have done sure. or many of us have done. And when you get to that place where you are desperate, you, you, there is no other yeah. way. You right. know, I'm, I am going to live in a very dark place. If, mm. if I don't do this, yeah. it's darkness or death for the rest of my life. Yeah. And you need it. And when you have that release, there is no other way to describe it other than miraculous because it's, your problems are yeah. still there, but it's, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. It just, it physically changes you. Yeah. I, I always, now today, I understand it was just, it, for me to help describe it is God gives you the power to overcome those things, yeah. walk through them. You know, it's like he gives you grace to walk through them and not around it, but go through it. You got to go right through it. You got to go through it. There's no bridges in the Bible. So you're not going to do any of that work. For yeah. You. And so he gives you grace. And I've realized that I, I had, uh, he gave me a portion of grace. What does that mean? Um, he gave me, he gave me power through the Holy spirit that now dwelt in me through Christ. When I accepted Christ, I accepted, uh, I accepted the Godhead. I accepted the Lord God Almighty in my life, and He's living in me. And I'm walking, and I'm alive. I was dead. Yeah. My understanding: I was dead in sins and trespasses, and now I'm made alive in Christ. So I go back, and I was reading the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. I'm looking at my walls. I'm reading the Bible. I'm looking up, and and I had pornography on my walls. I had like some pictures, centerfolds. Yeah. I remember getting up, tearing them down, flushing them, and reading some more. And then I said, I have another picture of a girl sent me a picture of, of her and some lingerie lingerie. So I get through my photo album, I get that, I rip it up. And I just had this overwhelming sense to want to be clean. Yeah. Um, got rid of anything. I had, I had some drugs, got rid of that. Um, it's just, it's just, I just wanted to be clean and, and I just felt this peace. And the other thing was that I, I started apologizing immediately started apologizing to people around the cell block for the next two days. I would, I would pray and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry for hurting Danny. And he said, yeah, but I'm not Danny. Go talk to Danny. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> so I'd get up in a cell and, you know, as much as, as, as much as I prayed about that individual that I had hurt, cussed out, bullied, whatever it was, it, it, no matter how much I prayed for God said, go apologize to yeah. him. You reconcile back to what we were talking about part of that reconciling God teaching me, that's what I did with you. I, I extended my life towards you mm-hmm. and you responded. They'll respond if you humble yourself. So that was a, uh, uh, a couple of day process of doing nothing, but going and, and going to cell to cell. There's nothing um, better. It was it's so hard. Little, it, it was very hard, but there's nothing better. It was very hard because, uh, I remember as a kid, I stayed out one night pretty late. And I got home and my mother was real mad and she tried to hit me, uh, smack me around. And I grabbed her arms. I said, oh, I'm too, I'm too strong, too big for you to hit me. You won't hit me. Mm-hmm. Well, that ended it. She walked out and next morning. I tried to apologize and she yelled at me. And, uh, so, I mean, whatever the case was, yeah, yeah. I, I remember apologizing. I felt bad. I felt bad. I grabbed my mom's arms and said, you're not going to hit me. You know, no son should do that, yeah. but I did it. And, um, when I apologized, she kind of blew up on me yelling. And so you were not, you were trained apology is maybe. Ooh, yeah. I was afraid to apologize. I was like, I'm going to get rejected. So 
God showed me said, no, you're going you're to go and apologize to all these people. So I remember that being a great, great lesson in my life. Sometimes when you apologize, though, you, you, you don't get... You don't. And it's not about... That's not what the apology and, is for. Right. And you don't... And you're not entitled... Right. To, to a good response. Right. Which... Uh, your pact is between you and God. Yeah. You have to do your part and what they do. How they respond is... Yeah. You're 27? 26. 26. At the time. Year? 86. December. It was December Ronald 86. Reagan is still in office. Okay. You um, you went in with Jimmy Carter in office? 77. 77. Yeah. Um, are you watching television? Are you, I mean, how, how um, disconnected from the outside world are you? Uh, just... Very. I wasn't a news person. I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't involved in it. But I mean, you were or, watching t- culturally. Yeah, you, you, culturally, you get some. There, you have. You could have a TV. Um, just basic channels. Yeah. And so you, there were only you, three networks at that yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're not. You're not ignorant of what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Um. um and uh, you're still hoping that there's going to be some clemency, even though at yes. this point you're not really. Yeah, I had to begin to... at seven years, uh, seven years into my sentence, I started kind of looking at the the, the process of the uh-huh. commutation. And I knew that they, they the, the, the um, specialists that help you, part of the state, uh, DOC, the Department of Corrections, offers you some uh, help. Um, they want you to do, um, I think they said 10 or 12 years yeah. for grieving periods for the victims yeah, yeah. before you start. So... I, I was kind of looking into it, looking, gearing up. So um, Larry Titus, who had a church right down the street in Camp Hill, Christ Community Church he had, he started coming to visit me. We connected. I wrote him a letter uh, with the card soon after, and we started visiting every week. And I started uh, discipling with him. Yeah. But sitting there, um, share whatever he shared at church on Sunday, he, I'd say, let me get your notes. Let me get your sermon notes. Mm. Tell me what you taught your church so I, I can learn it. Mm. And then I would teach it to other guys in here. And so when I had uh, 11 years in the system, I filed a commutation with the board of pardons and I was denied. Um, I had uh, no, no, I didn't ha- I did not have institutional support uh, from psychologists, from counselors, from the warden. They had not supported me yet. Um, did you deserve it? No. Did I deserve? Did no. you deserve the, 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 you know, your first seven years, you're, I, I messed. I, yeah. and you know, and, and every, a lot of stuff I never got caught. So it was, it was, they didn't have records of any yeah. of the drugs. They didn't have records of any of my, my struggles. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, I didn't deserve it. Never, never did. Um, I filed and I was denied and I, and, and I, I just remember reading his verse in the Bible. It says, give thanks in all circumstances for mm-hmm. this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. So I went back and I, God, this hurts, but I'm going to say thank you. <laughs> and, and I started. I love, I love those moments because yeah. when you look back on yeah. them, you're like, uh, you know, it actually did work out to it, be really good, but man, yeah. it hurt to uh, say thank you. Yeah, because I, I, though I, I knew nobody owed me anything. Yeah. 
I still wanted to go home. Yeah, I still I wanted. And so then I waited in another year, filed it 12 years, and I got denied again. Um, uh, gaining some support, I had been in touch with the courts. Mm-hmm. I had been in touch with the DA mm-hmm. who prosecuted the case, James Davis, who wrote a letter on my behalf to the governor saying Gene should be released. Um, he's accomplished GD. He has a vocation. He has some skills, da-da-da. Uh, I'm, I'm supportive of his release. So I had that letter, which was humongous. And yeah. when they, I would go up, they're like, how'd you get a letter like that? I said, I, I, I I've been in touch. I've been in touch with my course. I've been in touch with my community. Right. And I got denied. I, same process, going back and giving thanks and literally worshiping the Lord because it was what I did already. I did it Monday through my, I did it. I worshiped every day. That was, uh, I love the Lord and I love worshiping the Lord and uh, teaching other men to do the same. Um uh, waited again 17 years along the way. And then along the way, you know, I'm involved in church. I'm involved in Lubbock literacy. I'm involved in programs. I'm involved in raising funds for women's resource centers, uh, become the president of the Lifers Association, chairman. I, what I, is I, the Lifers Association? Well, just because there's it's a nonprofit organization within each institution, the 26 institutions, uh, everyone has the uh, has the privilege of being becoming um active in this nonprofit. So the inmates at some time in the 70s, early 70s, they formed a nonprofit. And what it does is it, it returns back to the community. It does fundraising. Uh, inmates are paid anywhere from 10 cents to 42 cents an hour. Wow. And so they have some money. And so we could uh, um, work with outside vendors like donuts and hoagies and say, hey, we'll sell your hoagies in here. And then some of the proceeds will raise it up and give it to uh, yeah. like Big Brothers Big Sisters and organizations yeah. local. Yeah. So that's the, the it's a, it's an organization self help, giving back community. Um, you, you're now seventeen years, and uh, you've got another twenty. You don't know this, but you have another twenty ahead of you. Almost. Yeah. Another. Right. Yeah. Seventeen. Eight, um, Eighteen. Um. At what point do you? I mean, do you become a pastor in prison? Uh, by not, not by title, but by heart. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And what does that mean? Um, I, I've always, ever since I got saved, uh, I, I think I always had a, um, a shepherd's heart. I, I was always protective of uh, the guys. I was always wanting to see others get saved. Uh, I want to see others uh, learn and how to walk. Mm-hmm. The Christian faith, mm-hmm. uh, walk it out in shoe leather, uh, no matter whether you're in prison or not. And so I just had a um, feeding, feeding my friends with the word of God and, and the love of God. And you know, that was just a daily, that was a daily um, activity that I did. They, um, in every prison movie you've ever seen, you know, somebody's like, I'm innocent or I don't uh, deserve to be here. Yeah. And the line is always, that's what everybody says. Sure. Here. Um, how many people in the prison system do you think are wrong, are there wrongly? Are there? F- I I can I could never even put a finger on the percentage, but I've I can right on top of my head I know three guys that were my friends uh, for a period of time that did not do it and they were exonerated. They were exonerated. Uh, they were totally exonerated. They they there wasn't even yeah DNA exonerated them. And after seven, one was a lifer after 17 years, 
and uh, uh, another was uh, uh, both homicides, and another was after four or so, five years. So you were at least there. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But these guys weren't, they weren't, one of, they weren't, weren't even, even there. They weren't even, had no knowledge at all. And they were, and what kind of hell is that? I, I remember sitting down with this guy, Bill Kelly, and he kept saying, I, I didn't do it, Gene. I did not do it. I did not. He had some mental, um, he had some mental health issues, very light. Yeah. I, I don't know how to explain yeah, it, but, yeah. but he was like taking lithium and stuff like that. But, yeah, yeah. um, active, uh, smart kid, all that. But, uh, he said, I didn't do it. So he actually showed me his transcripts and I said, well, let me see. Your so he's, and, and in it, the police with his alibi, he said, call, um, Sheriff so-and-so I was playing. Um, I was go bowling with him and his wife that night, call him. They called and they faked the phone call in it. They even say it in the transcript. We faked the phone call and we didn't call, but we went back, Bill, God don't like liars. You need to tell us the truth. You need to tell us the truth. Did you kill that lady? And, uh, and after so many hours, he said, I guess, uh, he, what did he say? He said, I was with him. He said, no, you, you weren't. So they actually lied and that came out later. And so and that's what exonerated. Yes. Him. Yeah. And it was just, uh, you know, the corrupt police in that sense. But so Bill, um, was released after four years. Um, the other guy with the 17 years for a homicide. Uh, How and then I, I knew a, a really good friend of mine uh, who's released today. Um, today? He's, he's out today. He, okay. he served yeah. his time. He served. And, uh, but he, he didn't served do it. 10 years. He had a 10 to 20 for a drug charge. He was selling drugs in Philadelphia, him and his cousin. And he told his cousin, don't sell today. That's a police officer over in that van. Okay. And he said, he said, no, oh, no, no. Well, he was selling. And he, my friend, he didn't sell. And they, they grabbed him up. And they charged him, not the cousin. Wow. And so. So your, is, your cousin is in jail at this point. He's yes, in prison. Yes. He deserves it. You've done 10 years. You've done right. double that. Mm -hmm. um, the 90s go by. The What do you remember about the World Trade Centers coming down? I remember where I was at working. I remember at the desk when the inmates uh, worked in the, I was an ordering clerk for the institution. I remember the inmates come in. And they said the World Tower uh, has fell, fallen over or something like that. World Trade Center has fallen over. I didn't even know what the World Trade Center was, honestly. I couldn't well, even... In New I York, even, it was 71. I couldn't even... 77, you're in jail. As yeah. Old, they were so young. So I, were you. I, yeah, I, I, I heard him say a tower mm -hmm. in New York City. And they said it fell over. And uh, we're all like, oh. And then eventually we, we learn as time goes on, we learn what went on. And just glued to the, glued to the TV for days. You are, you went in in 77. This is before the big, huge black phone. You probably don't even remember them. They're big, huge block batteries then with a phone and a cord with it. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no, you don't remember no. that. Uh, the flip phones, you don't, nope. you don't remember no. those. Afterwards. Um, technology is growing. Internet starts. Nope. You, yeah. You, you nope. don't have any. No clue to that. No access to it either in the prison. You're when you go in, you're two years, I think, um, after disco and Saturday night fever. Yeah. So when you go in, that's what's in style. Mm -hmm. Bell bottoms and yeah. Yeah. Take me to the year now that you are going to get out. Okay. It's 37 uh, years later. 34. 
for 34 years, nine months, 15 days. Wow. Yeah. But who's counting? Yeah. Yeah. I was, <laughs> no, I wasn't. I was, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, 2012, it was April, April 3rd. And, um, I remember, um, the conversation about cell phones while I was still in men, men talking about cell phones and doing, doing homework for the kids on the cell phone and internet. And I was like, what, you know? So having a little taste of that, I, I get out and, um, uh, I'm, I'm released and no, well, tell me about first, oh. tell me about the, how you get released. Okay. What happens? Um, they had vacated, uh, the, through the process, uh, a couple months earlier, the, the DA agreed that I'd spent 25 years over any sentence that I should have received. I should have been given a 10 year sentence. Um, why didn't you, um, because the attorney pled me into an illegal plea agreement, which was proven. He pled me in an unconstitutional sentence. And, and, he, it, and he was doing this. They were not the only person, right? Um, yeah. Well, yes. And Sid too, my other, the, the, the stepbrother that yeah, was okay. driving. And so they agreed, the DA agreed, um, on all counts and, and then the judge had to agree and the judge agreed. And so I'm in court. I walk into court that day. I'm being resentenced. They, they said, we, are you willing to be resentenced? I'm some, any sentence you want to give me. And it was sort of like the judge, even though the DA said, you, you should be immediately released. It had to be a judge to determine Right. It. The judge could say, yeah, yeah another no, 10 years yeah. or none. And so they said, you're... I said, uh, I, would, I kept my plea guilty and that they would give me a sentence. And so I walk in the courtroom and I have about 40 or 50 friends, high school, uh, people have relationships over the past 25 years, Christians. Your mother? Uh, no, she had passed away five years before that. Were you allowed to go to her funeral? No. Uh, no, my sister was there, my nephew, niece, brother-in-law, um, some cousins. Um, it was, it was quite a big crowd. And so I go in and, uh, remember the judge saying some things, formalities and back and forth. And then he, I said, do you have anything to say? And I, and I stood up and apologized. Um, thanked everybody for investing in my life. Uh, mainly apologizing uh, to the victim, the family, the community, high school. I always thought my sister had to go back to high school for another three years. Oh, boy. So, you know, so I apologize, sit down, my heart pounding, <laughs> you know, and I think, take me back to prison. I, I have an opportunity to publicly apologize, you know. I, I mean. That was I'm, more important. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't care if they give me 40 years. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm prepared to go back to the prison. Nothing was promised. Yeah. Uh, nobody told me I was getting out. Yeah. And the judge, um, stand up and said, uh, the defendant, G. McGuire, having served 34 years, nine months, 15 days, has served his maximum sentence and his release affected the state. And the courtroom just exploded with applause and hallelujahs and praise the Lord and clapping. And, and I remember just crying, like just head down. I was chained, you know, shackled. Yeah and crying and and I look up and thank the judge and the judge walked off the bench and the stenographer she's she's walking away and I'm just saying thank you thank you and so he never closed the court so meanwhile someone yells unshackle him releases from his chains he's a free man yells across the courtroom bellowing voice and uh they come over and they're unshackle me and they're my sister I hear the sheriff saying my sister hold on Mary hold on and she goes no I waited 
35 years for my brother on my way no more. So she's hugging me and they take chains off. We're just celebrating. I mean, oh my goodness, it's just unbelievable. Staying there and uh, someone comes up and hands me some clothes and says, Mary, take your brother home. So I go back and change and I reach in his bag and there's some jeans and there's a shirt and some socks and shoes. And uh, the whole time I'm like, I'm like tripping. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, it's surreal. You know, is this really happened? Is someone going to, you know, stop? And so um, we, uh, I change and I reach in, there's a bottle of uh, cologne, Dulce and Gabbana, light blue, mm-hmm. men's cologne. And I spray it. I'm like, oh, I'm spraying myself. <laughs> and the sheriff said, Gene, stop. <laughs> this stuff. So I'm standing like the intake, outtake. And finally he said, get your stuff. Your family's waiting for you. So walk out, family's waiting, friends, we're celebrating, we're laughing, circled up prayer with the attorney, with the sheriffs, all there. People are videotaping things. Someone hands me a cell phone and says, uh, the Papsons want to talk to you. So I grabbed the cell phone and I remember looking at it and I put it to my ear this black box. <laughs> and I said, I can't hear anything. And I'm surrounded by people. They're videotaping me. And they, I, the one, someone had a, now I know it's an iPad, but I thought it was like an Etch-a-Sketch thing. You know, it was like, <laughs> just, I was like, what are you doing? You know? So I put the phone in my ear and I can't hear anything. And I'm like, they turn it, they come up, it was upside down. Uh. It was like, so that was the beginning of technology. Um, uh, we left there, went to a restaurant, we ate. I remember getting in my brother's truck and I thought, this is plush. It was like, I've never sat in anything so comfortable in all my life. The and last time you were in a car. Yeah. 77. Well, I, I went to a, I went to a couple of doctor trips, Yeah, but basically a sheriff's car. Yeah, yeah. So, so I was, so we, we go eat and we're sitting there, we're eating and there's about 20 of us at the restaurant and I'm eating and I'm like, man, this fork is so heavy. I mean, it's really, I'm looking at it, it's heavy. And I'm like, man, and I look down, and I just realized I've been eating, I've been eating with plasticware all these years, oh my and not, not metal, silverware. And I look down, there's a, there's a steak knife. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, seriously, I'm like, oh yeah, I don't know if that should be sitting there <laughs> as a weapon. But they're the things that, you know, you're not, I'm not familiar with, yeah. you know. Um, but there was a lot of that, um, my first few years of uh, getting adjusted and, and getting used to uh, freedom, getting used to choices. Uh, my choice for food was always made for me. Uh, I went shopping one morning. Uh, I got an apartment and uh, I had to go, sh- I had to go get some food. And I remember standing in the aisle and I'm looking down this aisle of cereal. <laughs> Kroger's. I mean, yeah. it was, I was like, so I text a friend of mine in Pennsylvania. I said, took a picture with my little flip phone. They gave me someone gave some of my nephew, uh, provided it for me for a little bit. And, and I said, so many choices, you know, and I said, welcome to freedom. You know? Wow. So it was, there was a lot of that, you know, some funny stuff, some embarrassing. Um, but most of it was all good. Transition. What did you see in the difference of people? Um, had culture 
Was that a culture shock? You know, I, I left Pennsylvania uh, three weeks later. Uh, I was I spent three weeks with my sister and uh-huh. some friends. They took me shopping, and um, I knew I was coming to Dallas because Larry Titus had relocated ministry to Dallas. And he's the guy who the, gave you the card. And, he's the, and he spent 25 years visiting me. Mm. Never missed a birthday, never missed Christmas, always in the prison, visiting him and his family. And so um, I come down here, <laughs> you know, most, most, my, my memory is guys that get out, they go to halfway houses mm-hmm. in the inner city. Mm-hmm. And when they come back, oh, they didn't give me a chance. Oh, there's drugs everywhere. Oh, right, it's right, this, right. it's a mess. I don't know. You know, um, I get out, I come to Colleyville, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Not really a halfway house kind of place. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And, and the, the enormous amount of wealth in Dallas, Fort Worth, yeah. uh, opportunity, not just wealth, but opportunity. Um, the most church dairy in the world, I think, yeah. um, probably. Yeah. Uh, loving, accepting people. I had no I, problems. It's not a Jean Valjean yellow ticket of leave. Did you have any of the pushback that I just spent 35 years in no. prison for murder? No, nothing. I mean, people were very uh, open open-armed, open-handed. What did people, when you tell people that who don't necessarily know you or don't, you know, you're just meeting out on the yeah. street and that comes up. Does it come up and how do people react? Um, about the... Being in prison oh, for... Um, I think it's ruined uh, some possible relationships. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you in prison? <laughs> no, it's 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 a it's 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 a good icebreaker. Yeah, I bet. So da- uh, so dating. Yeah, my first one that was it was like that. I I was out about a month and a half, and I met a flight attendant, uh-huh. and we were at a place called Bonefish, I think, up in yeah. Pennsylvania, yeah. and scenery. And uh, I was with a friend of mine, and kind of a blind date, and she came, and I came, and and I she. She says, so what do you do? I said, well, I live in t- Texas and I do roofing. Uh, uh-huh. I started a roofing job and, and she goes, oh, she goes, what did you do before? I said, oh, I was away. <laughs> <laughs> so trying to, I was going to, yeah. you know, and she said, we're like, you know, like an island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. I said, I said, no prison. And she goes, oh, for what? And I said, uh, homicide. Oh, like this, like this. Oh, and uh, she had a glass, she had a glass of wine and every time you know, she took <laughs> a sip of wine, you know, <laughs> set it down. And, uh, and then I said, and she goes, I suppose you could tell me you didn't do it. I said, I didn't. And she goes, I think I need to get outside and get some air. <laughs> so, so I went, I said, can I join you? She goes, yeah. So I go out and I tell her the story. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, I said, you know, I don't have no baggage. I said, I don't know history, but I have no baggage. I, I have no kids. I, you know, I'm not divorced. I have no kids. I said, can I see you again? <laughs> <laughs> well, you do have a little bit of baggage. I yeah. mean, it's just a yeah, little. Yeah. So know. she goes, yeah, I like you. Uh, so she invited me over and she cooked dinner for me. <laughs> so that was kind of, but um, I, no, I think, uh, I think even with, with the homicide, painful, but the redemption, the, the forgiveness factor in there. And uh, um, people, what, what I did notice when I came to Dallas, and Dallas, Texas, when I, when I got out, period, but I'm here, 
there's, there's a lot of people who've never been in prison, never been addicted, but yet they're in prison to anger. And I noticed, I noticed like businessmen, uh, they carry a, some, they carry like a, 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 an anger for bad decisions or they got bumped out or someone did something wrong to them. Um, women are, are hurt by husbands who divorce them. Um, I, I, I sense that and I feel that. And I think when I start sharing my story and I tell them that I was able to forgive um, and I was able to uh, be forgiven, they, uh, they, they respond to that. And they said, well, if you can do 35 years in prison and not come out angry, why can't I forgive my husband, my wife, right. uh, my business partner? Uh, why can't I forgive whoever? And I noticed, I noticed that a lot. And that was kind of surprising because in, in the prison, uh, I, I lived a Christian life. There was a lot of guys that do live the life. They're genuine, they're authentic. And um, I just thought that's typical of everybody, but uh, it may not be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I personally think hell is not being able to accept the forgiveness for yourself, you know, you can, yeah. you're standing there and, you know, if you've tried and you've, you know, asked for forgiveness for all the things that you have done, that stuff's going to come relatively easy if yeah. you're sincere. It's so hard to forgive yourself, mm -hmm. you know, when you said businessmen, you know, they've been, I think there's people who have made mistakes in their own life. That's why I was an alcoholic. You make mistakes in your life, and then they just start compounding on each other, and you just feel like you can't get out. Yeah. And so many people are walking around, and they can forgive others, but they can't forgive themselves. Hmm. Do you agree with that? Or do I, you see no, that? I, I do. Yeah. I think it's because they don't know the forgiveness of, of the Lord. And I, that's the only thing I can, I can relate it to. If you knew that God forgave you, then, then to not forgive yourself is a pride issue. Yeah. It's like, who are you? If yeah. he can do it yeah. and he knows all of it. Yeah. And I, and I remember that was, that was for me, you know, when, uh, on the cell floor asking, uh, Miss Nagy to forgive me, uh, whether she could have understood that or heard it, but I, I did, you know, and I knew I had to do that and, um, and, and then forget up and forgive myself and not live in, this guilt ridden, you know, never forget it, never let it go for a moment. But, um, the guilt and the shame, um, I can tell the story. I can share that, uh, even though it's painful. You now are pastor at a big, uh, restaurant chain, mm -hmm. uh, here in, in Dallas. And I love the people that you yeah. work for. Um, the vineyards are just remarkable people. Uh, and I remember, I'll never forget when he uh, first said to me, Paul said, uh, oh, you got to meet our pastor. He, he was in prison for life for murder. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Um, uh, but you are one of the uh, happiest guys I have come across. Wow. I mean, you are just wow. a, you know, a happy, happy guy. Mm. Who would you be without that night in the bar? If you would have listened to your mother, mm -hmm. who do you think you would have been? Would you be the same man you are today? 
Oh, absolutely not. You know, and it, it's obviously you can't change the past. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I've thought about it and I know that uh, I've probably been dead or I would have been uh, alcoholic um, yeah. and committed suicide. I had a brother committed suicide, a nephew committed suicide, alcohol yeah. from alcohol. My, my father died at 20. Uh, when I was 20, he was 51, alcohol, cirrhosis wow. of the liver. And it was, it was steeped in my mother too yeah. until she got, became a Christian and stopped. And so she lived to be 77. So I, I think by, by seeing it, I would have entered into, I, that's my thinking. It's a, tra- it's it, for me, very I, possible. suicides, my mother committed suicide, yeah. my brother committed suicide, alcoholism yeah. is like a pack of wild elephants. And you can get to the point where you feel like, uh, that's who I'm supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, I come from that yeah. and that's what's going to happen yeah. to me. And it's mm-hmm. a big lie. Last, last thought or question. And this is really hard to ask because it sounds weird, but maybe only an alcoholic and somebody like you can understand. Do you thank the Lord in any way for not what happened that night, but for that night? Can you get to a place to where you're thankful that you went through all of that? Yes, I had to. Yeah. Yeah, because it, and I, I, I'm not one that will say that God ordains evil because he doesn't, but he's sovereign enough to use it. And it's choices I made, my cousin made, um, he, he worked and there's maybe I have to wait to eternity to find out what God has to say about Isabel Nagy's suffering in, in, in that murder and the pain, uh, but God's using that. Yeah. He doesn't cause it. He doesn't yeah. punish us like that. He just, that's not him, but he it, is the best at making yeah. lemonade out of I, the strongest. I, I, I like to, I like to say God doesn't waste the moment. He doesn't. And I, I really believe he doesn't waste the failure. No, we, we have to deal with, but God's like, okay, okay you blew it. Okay. My, my, I'm not changing my plan for you. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have to rewrite the script because Gene, you decided to disobey your mother and you decided to join in with a cousin and you decided to follow a, a bad character. And, you know, you, you made decisions and choices that night that, uh, he, he doesn't, he's not rewriting it. He's, he's able to use it all. What's, what's next in the next half of your life? Um, a second book. I'd love to um, get busy on that because the people who've read the first book, they're always asking about the second because the yeah. first book ends the day I got out. Um, I bought a house, um, townhouse out in Fort Worth. Why uh, is there so much emotion behind that? Oh, because it's, it's answer prayer. It, it was it was in in prison. I remember praying uh, for a car, a wife, and a house. And uh, I was able to buy a car. Um, uh, I was able to buy a house and still waiting on a wife. <laughs> you can buy yeah. a wife. It's not something you probably would want to do, but 
<laughs> well, I, don't think, I don't have money for the quality. You get the Russian. You get the big Russian. Come over. I don't have, I don't have that type of money for the quality and, and the talent and, right. and, the, and the intelligence that I'm looking for. But um, are you in a relationship? Are you no, uh, not no, now. no. How can people get a hold of you if they're like? Yeah. 817 <laughs> uh, Gene, uh, G yeah. okay. is, is my website yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to know you and, uh, and thank you for reminding me yeah. that everything is good yeah. everything is good the Lord is good mm-hmm.